Welcome to Club Verboten, the most wanted kink party in the world. I've been a member since 2018, they've been around since 2016, and when I first started going to their parties, it was when I was visiting London, and I would time my entire travels around when they would happen. And back then, there would be around about 100 people or so in a space that might be 100, 200 square meters or so, and I would go, I'd have a drink, I'd watch a little bit of play, and I'd leave, but I already understood that there was something very, very special happening, and it has grown leaps and bounds. And now we are here during setup in E1, where 1,400 people are going to descend upon us in just a few hours and get up to all the good things. What are the good things? The good things are the times that I've spent meeting people here who have become great friends, watching them get naked and feeling free doing so, toying with their minds and their bodies in all the fashions, with all the things, and essentially finding a space for myself to feel free in expression and safe in being. What is play at Club Verboten? When you think of a sex party, you may think of naked bodies en masse, a top of each other, engaging in a world of penetrative sex, and sure, there's room for that. But at Club Verboten, kink culture is central, and with that comes a greater exploration of potential identities, power dynamics, and fetishes. You may see a leather-clad human puppy being led around on a leash, you might see a latex-clad couple chatting by the bar, or you may see a mass of a morsum gyrating on the dance floor, building up sweat for the foot worship in the dark room later. But how does this all emerge and do so in a way that can inspire such freedom? It takes a lot of thought, structure, dungeon furniture, campaigning against oppression, and an ever-growing team of very dedicated people, including the safeguards in their distinct blue berets. Hello. Hi. Thank you for being up for talking to me. <laughs> no problem. You are? <laughs> My name is Aya. So yeah. what do you do for Club Verboten? Um, a myriad of things to be fair, but um, for tonight, um, primarily safeguarding. Uh -huh. um, tonight I'll be on the door. Okay. What are mm. the general rules that people are supposed to be aware of before they come in? Anytime someone buys a ticket, mm -hmm. we let them know about all our rules. They're on the website and they are in links in their tickets. And then we post it on our social media websites as well. Uh -huh. So um, one that's not a rule, but everyone always says to uh -huh. me is don't uh -huh. be a dick. Okay, it's not a rule, okay. but yeah. obviously don't be a dick. That's, a, that's <laughs> just life advice. Uh -huh. um, but then there's stuff like no aggressive cruising. Okay. Um, don't treat this place like a dating app. Don't get overly intoxicated. So that's with mm. drugs or alcohol, because obviously your judgment's going to be impaired. Um, mm. And then that's obviously a safety concern again for yourself and for other people. Mm. And obviously consent, massive mm. one. Mm. Um, and then it's like gaining and maintaining it. Because obviously you can get it, but then we're in a club environment, you might change your mind. To be fair in anything, you might change your mind and you have every right to change your mind. And stuff, but then there's loads of different rules, but like those are some of the main ones, yeah. And what was the process of making the safeguards happen? Like, how does the safeguard come about? How is one born? From when they started it, it was them coming into the space, coming into the kink space, and then just realizing just the 
just seeing around just the lack of kind of like focus on safety yeah. and people wanted to have fun and wanted to play and like mm -hmm. that was already established mm -hmm. you had like big events that already having their kink or fairs mm -hmm. nights mm -hmm. um, but there wasn't much focus on like actually looking after the people once they're there okay. getting them in there was like the main focus so then it kind of just built upon that yeah. um, built on just like having just a few monitors and yeah. then the team started expanding getting bigger and then there was more training involved yeah. like I've had so much training uh -huh. um, like what like what <laughs> so there's a big one good night out campaign mm -hmm. um, they do our training at the moment we have some internal training um, and another small external one, just a bunch of things. And then one of the best things that we do is like after every event, we have feedback. Mm -hmm. So a debrief show. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we discuss like what happened at the event, mm -hmm. what any holes, anything that we need to make better and that we can improve. And obviously we also listen to feedback from just the members of the community as well. Mm -hmm. And when you do like this good night? Good night out campaign. Good night out campaign. What? What is that? Is that like a day? That um, like so a that's they are a charity who um, provide training for, um, especially like queer spaces for mm -hmm. like clubs to like make mm -hmm. sure that they are doing their best in like just making sure people are safe. Mm -hmm. um, so then we, some of the main things that they focus on is making sure that they we are able to look after vulnerable people mm -hmm. and just any gaps in our knowledge and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so when you're wearing these little blue berets yeah. on the floor in the playroom, what is it that you're looking out for? Okay, so um, we're in one of the spaces at the moment. Yeah. Um, so whenever I have to safeguard, especially in this space, um, it's a lot of just walking around and just paying attention, paying attention to who's in this space, who's entered the space, who's entered together. Yeah. Um, because one of our rules, one of our main rules is don't interrupt scenes. Mm -hmm. So essentially, once you're in the members' room, mm -hmm. you shouldn't really be like having a lot of chats. If you've now come in to actually enjoy yourself and play, okay. so um, do all of just making sure all the right people are together. Making sure if it's in this space, members are together, mm -hmm. and just watching like small interactions of people, mm -hmm. making sure that they're enjoying themselves. It can go as far mm -hmm. as <laughs> which can be quite funny. Watching people have sex and then seeing if they're using a condom or not. Okay. And stuff, because obviously stealthing is a thing that unfortunately mm. does happen. Okay. And it has happened in some club spaces as well. Okay, okay. Have you ever had to interrupt a scene? Oh yeah, so um, sometimes you might interrupt the scene where someone might look a little bit too intoxicated okay. and like their flogging is just... <laughs> <laughs> or there was a part of me where I wouldn't say I'm an expert flogger, uh -huh. where I am just judging people's technique. <laughs> it's like, mm. But it's like, okay, they're not doing, okay. you know, it's they're in the realm of like, kind of like, they're fine, they're not like harming anyone. Okay. So then there are times where I want to jump in then, but then there'll be times where people are just kind of a bit out of control mm -hmm. and there are risks to like just people walking past them because mm -hmm. they're just swinging all over yeah. and just like harming the person they're with. So then yeah, sometimes yeah, you might yeah. have to interrupt in that way. <laughs> so yeah. it's also quality control. <laughs> How long in the process of finding out about the furniture and coming and the calm until you realized that maybe you wanted to go through all of this training and be a part of the team? Especially during the pandemic, I got um, closer to like Carl, who obviously uh, runs Clever Boats and, and Hanny as well. Um, and they were asking me to join the like just a team, like safeguarding team. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'd start 
had been going to King Club maybe for like a year, two mm -hmm. years by that time, or maybe coming up to two years. Mm -hmm. I just kept on saying like, no, I'm not experienced enough. I kept on thinking like, you know, I need to know everything. I need to be able to like, if anything happens, I'll know like how to like get someone off a class or like any safety measures. Maybe someone might like mm -hmm. suffer drop or something. Like mm -hmm. I need first aid. I did have first aid training, but like I just yeah. thinking of all the possibilities. And I just yeah. didn't think like I could do it. Okay. Um, but then eventually, um, they just kept on telling me you don't need to be like the best. Yeah. Dom top. I mean, there's king, a team. You know, yeah. there is a team. Mm. And then in a way, a little bit of. Um, I wouldn't say ignorance, but like a willingness to, kn to know that you don't know anything mm. and wanting to learn. Yeah. It's probably better than someone who thinks that they know everything already yeah. and become the safeguard. That would be an annoying member of the team. <laughs> yeah. And how do you find the team? How many of you are there? Oh, I don't know now anymore. It's, gr it's grown so much. Yeah. It's like um, we've had like a new intake very recently as well. But mm -hmm. um, I would say... On and off, because people drop, come in, come yeah. out, and like different periods of like their life or even yeah. a year. I would say over like 30, wow. maybe 40, maybe. Nice. I'm sure Thank how do you tell me up and like say like it, it's more. <laughs> it's 100. <laughs> how do you think we handle 3,000 people yeah. a month? <laughs> but like it's, it's, and that's just a safeguarding yeah. team. I'm not yeah, even talking yeah. about. Oh, um, yeah. The venting because this, um, the setup. The whole setup, a lot of the setup, um, which I even encompass in safeguarding, maybe not the safeguarding team, mm. starts off from tears for beers when people vet and people become mm. members mm. and stuff. That's already a part of like actually keeping the club safe. Yeah. Comes from me being at the door and like the other staff being yeah. at the door and like yeah. making sure people know the rules and who yeah. and they dress the correct way as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just loads of different like levels of it that trickle down to then being in the blue beret mm. and being on the dance floor, being in the um, dark room and mm -hmm. making sure people are safe. And what's important about the, the dress aspect of things? Um, so for me, it's definitely yeah. about seeing that someone has made an effort, mm -hmm. um, has actually looked, taken time and dedicate themselves and actually looking at the website, looking at social media, yeah. looking at maybe the community yeah. and then saying like, okay, this is kind of like the ideas of like how I need to dress. You don't need to dress in one particular way. You don't need to just wear black. I yes. know we're not changing that right now, but you don't need to wear black. <laughs> you can wear other clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just lazy. <laughs> Because <laughs> I like, get it all the time. It's just like, yeah. I want to go, but everyone just wears black. It's like, no, 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 it's yeah, not yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, like for me, I kind of feel like if I see somebody not understanding the tone yeah. of the dress, I feel like I become this object to observe. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel like we're sharing a space. Yeah. I feel like you're coming to view me and us. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of why I appreciate the dress aspect of things. Yeah, and I think that's very important as yeah. well because um, to be able to kind of um, assimilate and blend in and you're not sticking out because that was, for my ex first experience, um, I found it amazing how I entered and was like, wow, okay, I thought I was going to be like, whoa, this is very weird, I stick out. And it's like, oh no, there's more naked people here or like this person looks amazing yeah. and you just, you just don't, you stop caring as much. Yeah. But then if you're not dressed well, or if you haven't made an effort and you're just coming in like jeans or you're just wearing Calvin Klein boxes or something, then you are going to stick out and you're going to make other people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. 
And how would you describe like the feeling or the look or the way of moving through the world when you're in Club Verboten as maybe opposed to like a vanilla club space? Um, ooh. Because earlier so, on yeah. you kind of mentioned that they're very different. And for yeah. me, when I now, now after being in kink culture for as long as I have and yeah. being able to play in these spaces with safeguarding and people being aware of consent and, and that kind of exchange where we're thinking about each other. Yeah. When I go to a vanilla club night, it is better lately, but it's just like, I'm not happy to be there. Yeah. I have to watch my back, I have to watch my drink, I gotta make sure that you know, somebody's probably gonna touch me. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah. it's like just, I can't relax 100%. in comparison. I would say, yeah. one of the similar things I would think of, or yeah. that I tell people is, um, can you imagine being naked in a regular club and stuff? Like, especially once you've already been here and maybe you've had some your fun and stuff and you haven't got your clothes on. And you're not think, you're more thinking about, um, maybe I need to clean up the furniture I've just used. Um, maybe I'm just putting on my clothes. But you're not thinking like someone's about to touch me or someone is gonna like um, assault me or do anything like that. But you're in a normal club and you're very aware of that, we're very aware of like walking past someone, they're gonna either touch your bum or like they're gonna be way too close to approach you. Yeah. You have to um, think about like who you speak to and like engage in that conversation because you might not be able to like remove yourself. Mm. If something happens, who do you speak to in a way club? While in these kind of spaces, we mm. try to make ourselves very visible and have like multiple members of staff yeah. in every single room yeah. and stuff. So it is, Mainly just uh, feeling of being being able to be safe and feel safe, mm. so then you can get up to naughty business. Mm. Fabulous! Thank mm. you so much. <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to share or add? Come for no? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. That was great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Can I hug? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We have a gimp within our cage. And does the gimp have a name today? I'm just the gimp. <laughs> just the gimp. Just the gimp has been a part of the Club Verboten furniture for a very long time. And how long? Oh, maybe three, four years. Three or four years. Tell us about the first time that you ever came to Club Verboten, just the gimp. So the first time that I came to Club Verboten, I'd been looking for the best sex party to go to for some time, and I'd been really struggling to find anywhere that was kind of safe and contemporary and exciting. And I'd been searching all over, and eventually I found KV, Club Verboten. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was when it was a bit smaller, and uh, drove out to East London to an industrial estate. Mm -hmm. And it was so exciting finding the secret venue mm -hmm. and getting inside and it was like another universe and mm. everyone was so welcoming and beautiful and the party was so excellent and it was such a different environment to anywhere I'd experienced before. Okay. And, yeah. Why were you searching? I think for a lot of years I knew that I needed to articulate my sexuality in a way that I couldn't in a vanilla, monogamous, heterosexual relationship. And I felt that I'd really gone as far with kink 
as I could on my own, uh, on my own personal journey, and I needed to connect with a community, and it felt that events were the most direct way to, to connect with other people in the community. Okay. And, I mean, you're quite involved these days. Tell us how you're involved with KV. For a year or two, I've been on the advisory board. So it's a board made up of uh, members of the community and people who attend the event. Uh, and we help with some decisions about, um, about the event and how things should be shaped. Okay. So that's a great privilege and joy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what are the kinds of people that are on this board? So I think the board represents quite a diverse section of people that uh, attend the event. Uh -huh. uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of the board are people who have been involved in safeguarding mm -hmm. or have um, a connection to the event that maybe goes back a little way. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about maybe the kinds of decisions that you have to make? Like what was the latest thing that all of you had to decide upon? So yeah. I think we, we just help with general decisions. Um, yeah, it, yeah. it might be anything from uh, on, on what furniture um, okay. or to what kind, of, um, what kind of future the event might have. Okay, all right, nice. And I mean, you used the word contemporary at some point. Tell me more about what you mean by that. Well, you know, I think the BDSM scene has um, I think we have a lot to be grateful to our predecessors for, but also maybe a lot to resent them for as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a few years ago when I started uh, going to events, a lot of things had become normal, which maybe never should be normal. It wasn't an inclusive space. It was a space for cis, het men for the most part, or certainly the mixed orientation events. Of course, there's always been excellent like gay men's events and some more kind of AFAB events. But for the, for the most part, it was kind of like um, heterocentric, uh, male-centric events, which, although I am a cis man, uh, it's not so healthy, you know? It needs to, it, it's only, you can only really party and have a great time in, in a space that is for everybody, you know? That's what we want. And you came, because you were originally searching for something, right? You were searching for this contemporary space that you felt wasn't being represented, that you wanted this community. Obviously, you found some sense of it, but what makes you keep coming? I think these days I come to the space to connect with uh, our community, primarily. Mm -hmm. And I come with very little expectation. Mm. I think, um, particularly as a cis man, it's important not to come to these events expecting sex. Th mm -hmm. These events don't exist purely to satisfy you, you know? Okay. It, anything can happen, and there's so much possibility far be beyond what you can comprehend, but primarily it's important not to come just expecting sex from people, because it's a, it's a mutual thing, isn't it? It's, it's a beautiful mutual thing, and it's not, just, it's not just for you, it's for everyone, and that's community, and that's these events. Mm. And what is this community that you speak of? Like, why is it prominent for you? Why does it keep you coming back? What does it look like? Well, I think sometimes it's hard existing in a community because we all have different needs and wants. And sometimes it can be a little bit volatile. But actually, growing up in rural England, in the 90s, there was no queerness, there was no fetish, there was no sexual exploration. And 
it's so valuable as a person who needs that, who, who not just wants it but needs it for self-actualization, to have a community of like-minded people to support each other and encourage each other and share experiences with. It's profoundly beautiful and profoundly important. Mm, amazing. Well, thank you very much, Just the Gimp. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure caging you. Thank you so much, <laughs> Ms. Eva o. And I guess we'll just let you out for a little bit so you can enjoy the party. That's very kind. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.